this morning? Good, great, yeah, all right. <laughs> well, glad that you're here. I'm glad you braved the cold and you chose to go out one last time before snowpocalypse or a dusting, whichever happens. Uh, but we're so glad that you're here today. And uh, if I've never met you before, my name is Chris Massey. I'm another one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, we're just so grateful that you came to worship with us this morning uh, to spend some time together and be a part of the family at Family Life Church, uh, where we just believe God's making uh, a way and giving hope for every life. And so we're glad that you're a part of that and really believe for what God has in store uh, for you and your family. Uh, one thing I wanted to definitely uh, remind everybody of, as it was kind of shared in the announcements this morning, is our kids' breakaway that is coming up and if you have kids that are in the life kids uh, you can sign them up to go to breakaway if you don't have kids in life kids but you're thinking to yourself you know what i just got this extra money laying around and i don't even know what to do with it uh my address is 40 no i'm sorry uh if you'd like to sponsor a kid, I mean, that would be really awesome. You can see Pastor Tyler or Sandy and uh, let them know that you'd like to help out with that. I always say, I don't, want, I don't ever want money to be the obstacle for kids hearing the gospel of Jesus. And, and it doesn't need to be because as we give and are generous, God makes a way. And uh, so if, if you could pray about that uh, or sign up your kids and, and let us know how we can get them connected as well, that would be awesome. So we're going to continue in our series this morning called Radical Year. How many of you uh, this week, this far into the new year, it's a bust? Anybody yet? It's a bust year? Oh, good. That's good. If, if that's something to be hopeful for. Uh, it, maybe it hasn't been an awesome year as of, as of late, but hopefully it's not too far gone. Uh, but we're just really believing God and the challenge through this series is I'd coming to the end of 2021, really thinking about what God wanted to speak going into 2022 is really for us as a church and as individuals to adopt the reality of living radically for Jesus. And radical just means above and beyond what is normal, what everybody else thinks is this acceptable threshold of living for Jesus. And we've kind of looked at this over the last several weeks, and we're going to continue in that pursuit today. But one of the introduce you to some Bible characters. Uh, they're not actually here. I'm just going to talk about them. Uh, but how many of you have ever heard of Elijah and Elisha before? A couple of you? Okay, so they're prophets in the Old Testament. We're going to be going to the Old Testament today, 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, but that one of them came before the other, and, and I always struggled to remember this when I was younger. So if you struggle with that too, just remember that J comes before S in the, in the alphabet. So Elijah came before Elisha, all right? So you stick with me. I did really good in first service not mixing them up, and I'm going to see how I do today. But here's where we're at before I read this this morning. So Elijah had been appointed the man of God in all of Israel and, and had done some really awesome things. God had used him to really speak prophetically to Israel to bring challenges against some of these wicked kings that had raised up. And, and he's kind of been running for his life and he's been threatened left and right and people want to kill him. And he just gets to a point where he cries out and says, God, I've just had enough. You ever had a day like that? I have, but you know, I've had enough. I can't do anymore. And so God says, listen, Elijah, I want you to go and anoint this person to be king. And then I want you to go find Elisha. And I want you to anoint him to be the next prophet over Israel. And so this is what takes place here. We pick it up in 1 Kings 19, verses 19 and 20. It says that Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, first let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, go on back. 
but think about what I have done to you. Think about what I've done to you. Now, some of us are thinkers and others are reactors. How many of you would say you're a thinker? Oh, not many. Praise the Lord. Hmm. How many of you would say you're a reactor? How many of you are still sleeping? Do your arms work? Just check. Okay, that's fine. You know, Elisha's in this place, and we can kind of glean from looking at Elisha's story, that he's out in a field and he is plowing with 12 teams of oxen. So that's 24 oxen in total. This is no uh, poor farmer in the middle of nowhere. This is a big farm in Bible times. This is huge. And so we can glean from this that Elisha probably came from a little bit of money and that he is a part of this. And I don't know why that's like one of the most difficult words in all of the English language to say, but we had to read that he's, he's plowing with the 12th team. I don't know how you guys say 12th, 12th team. But he's with that team of oxen, and he's at the back, so he's the foreman. And he's kind of watching over this, and he's a part of this. And so we, we understand that he probably comes from some wealth, some substance. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, some guy just walks up to him and puts a furry shawl over his shoulders and walks away. Now, probably if this happened to you, you would be slightly alarmed. Say you're standing in Walmart today, and all of a sudden, I mean, it's COVID, we're not allowed to talk to each other, touch each other, anything, but somebody just walks up behind you, and they put their coat on you and just turn and walk away. What's your response? I mean, if it's a nicer coat than mine, I'd... reality is it probably wouldn't fit. But this is a profound moment, and in this moment, something is taking place in Elisha's life. And, you know, we can read through some of the the depictions of the biblical times that uh, this cloak that was worn by men of God, the prophets, uh, it was very royal looking. It was this beautiful robe that had fur on it. Um, it. Some of the Assyrian prophets during that time, they actually wore lion's heads and lion skins on their heads. Uh, but, but there's something very significant about this. And immediately Elisha understands the moment. He understands the gravity of the moment. And in the middle of plowing, having a normal Tuesday, he turns and he walks away from that 12th pair. And he walks over and he says, first let me go and kiss my father and mother, and then I will come and follow you. He sees something that's significant that's happened, this shift that has taken place in his life. And I want us to focus on the shift this morning because I want us to understand for our own lives, you know, we can look at Bible characters and we look at their lives and the things that they go through and we're like, wow, they're awesome and they did these amazing things and God worked so awesomely in their lives and moved powerfully in their lives. But the reality is God is no, has no favoritism, okay? He's no respecter of persons. He doesn't look at one person and say, you know, Elisha I really like, but Chris can't even grow hair. Well, in fact, biblically, we know that Elisha couldn't grow hair either. But the people who made fun of him got eaten by bears, so just remember that. The shift is something for every one of us that we've got to understand. Because when God comes into our lives, there's supposed to be something inside of us that drastically changes. We're not supposed to stay the same anymore. It's not like, okay, I'm living my life, doing my thing, I'm having a good time, fulfilling my dreams, chasing my goals, doing everything that I want to do. And the icing on top of all of that, the sprinkles, if you will, is I've also got a little bit of Jesus in my life. That was never God's intention when he was talking about giving of himself as a ransom for the people that he desired to save, for you. He said, I wanted to come and to give power and life to a people who were going to be dead in their sins if I didn't give it to them. And that should radically change us. And that's what we've been focusing on in these last couple weeks. 
But Elisha understands the gravity of this moment, and he says he turns and he walks away. Just those, here he is in the middle of everything he's ever worked for, everything his family had ever hoped for, and he's living out the dream that maybe his parents had for him, and he says, listen, I need to go and get my parents' blessing. That's what he's saying when he's like, I need to go and kiss my mom and dad goodbye. I need to go get their blessing, and then I will follow you and basically be your assistant. I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to go and I'm willing to follow because he understood right then and there that something's profound had happened. And church, we need to wrestle with that in our own lives, the gravity of what God has done for us. Not collectively. We can look and we're like, God's doing some collectively really cool things at Family Life Church. Can I be, can I be honest? I'm excited about some of the cool things that God's doing at Family Life Church. But we're not just talking about what God's doing in the local church or even in the global church. This is looking at what God is doing in your life. The shift that God is calling you to in your life to step out of normal everyday life and the life that maybe you chose for yourself or that was chosen for you, uh, the life that maybe you dreamed about when you were a teenager. How many of you dreamed that you would be doing what you're doing today when you were 14? One. The rest of us are all like, yeah, that, uh, never mind. We are in the middle of these things, but when God gets a hold of our lives, there is a transformational moment that is supposed to take place in us, and we, this is the shift. In church, for us to live radically, we have to wrestle with the shift. We have to wrestle with this in our lives and understand that because we have been bought with the blood of Jesus, we don't get to live as those who were not. We don't get to continue to do or say or respond and act in ways that those who were not do because we're supposed to be set apart and be different. And that only comes through really wrestling with the reality of just how great a price Jesus paid for our salvation. That creates a shift in our thinking. Because I don't know about you, I am fully aware there's no way that I'd ever be able to save myself from my own self. Right? Imagine if you've fallen into a pit you're stuck in the mud, and you reach out your own hand to pull yourself up. Would that work? No. The only way you're going to be saved is for someone to be your Savior, to come and extend a hand and say, let me help you up out of the mud. And that's exactly what God did for us. But understanding this, when he did it, it wasn't just so we could say, hey, thanks. See you later. Go Steelers. <laughs> sorry. Listen, I'm just a realist. I'm sorry. Somebody said we need to pray for the Steelers in both services today. I was like, we better have like five services then. They need a lot of prayer. We didn't, we didn't get saved so that God could just walk away from us or us walk away from him. It's supposed to shift something in our lives, and it did for Elisha, and here's what he did next. So it says that Elisha returned to his oxen, and he slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. Great stuff, right? He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. And then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Elisha is making a profound statement in this moment. A very profound statement in his life. It's also the first place in Scripture that we see a barbecue. He said, you know what? I've decided to follow after God the plan that God has for my life. 
But he says, I feel a connection to the life of my past. I feel a connection to what I was raised in. I feel a connection to the dreams that maybe I had for myself. I feel a connection to the dreams that my family had for me. And, and I understand that in order to accept that God has shifted something inside of me, I'm going to have to make a very bold statement with my life. And I'm going to have to cut the ties from everything that I used to be to embrace what God's called me to be. And church, that is a profound moment for every one of our lives. It's not just for prophets. It's not just for pastors. It's not just for evangelists or teachers or preachers or however we want to look at that in ministry. It is for every single child of God, this moment where something shifts in us and we make the decision to say, my life is no longer going to be the same because of Jesus and what he's done for me. You know, for my family, when God called us to follow him, there were things that I had to give up. One of the things that I had to give up was my family. You know, I have, you know, mom and a dad, just like everybody else, and i got a brother, a really good brother that I get along with most of the time. He is a Chiefs fan. Sorry. So I am rooting for the Steelers because he's a Chiefs fan. But you know, when God called me into ministry, I had to leave that family behind. And I had to say, you know what, God, wherever you lead me to go, I'll go there, and I'll, I'll follow you to wherever you want me to be, and I'll, I'll serve wherever you want me to serve and do whatever you want me to do. You know, for Jess, her family, they're huge. It's like the world's biggest family. I don't even know what's going on. But, it, like, two people moved to the middle of nowhere and took over a mountain 100 years ago, and that's her family. They, like, her mom is, like, one of nine, and every one of them had 16 kids. And she has cut. I literally don't know the names of all of her cousins. It's just that many kids. And so it is such a big deal in her family that when they have a family reunion, it makes the front page of the newspaper. Like, that's how big her family is. And it's like, wouldn't it be cool to be in that and be part of that? Some days it's really cool to not be, but it would be cool in some regards to be a part of that and the gatherings and, and, and all that fun stuff. But it was like, you know what? When God called us into ministry, there was just a decision we had to make to say, okay, you know, we, we want that but we want what God has for us, and we have to make a statement. And, and in this moment, it's not just a barbecue. It's not just a, a farewell party. It's, I'm done. I will no longer be who I was because I want to fully embrace who I'm supposed to be. And he says, I, I, have, to, I have to cut the ties with that. I have to let go of some of the things in my past because if I don't let go of them, there's going to be a temptation to come back to those things. And can I tell you, I, I greatly identify with that. Because when God called me out of being a construction worker to become a pastor, Jess and I, we, we owned our own house and we had this nice little comfortable life and, and I was working full-time construction and we were you know doing okay. And God told me to leave all of that and to go into full-time ministry. And so I was like, okay, well, we're going to create a safety net. We're going to keep our house and I'm going to keep my card with the union because I don't want to give that up because if I lose my card, I won't be able to work anymore. And that way, if things go sideways, I'll always have the option. We'll just go right back to our house. I'll get plugged right back into work, and it's going to be okay. Spoiler alert, none of that happened. You know, I remember six months after following God and the plan that he had for our lives and for our family, and I had to keep paying my dues to the, to the uh, union. And I remember six months in, I was getting ready to send my dues in, my quarterly dues, and God said, don't send these. Don't send these. And I was like, well, Lord, you know, this is kind of my safety net. That way I can go back. And he said, don't send them. And I was like, okay, God, I'm not going to send them. I'm going to let my card go, and I won't be able to work anymore. 
And then not long after that, I found out that our wonderful, illustrious renters, Miss LaCora, praise your Lord, destroyed my house. I mean, to the point that it was uninhabitable and had to be condemned in a year. And I ended up losing my house to foreclosure because it became condemned in one year's time with somebody living in it. And it was like, I wonder to myself sometimes, what if I would have been bold enough and had enough courage to say, I'm going to burn the plow just like Elisha. I'm going to sell this house. I'm getting rid of that vocation. I'm giving away my tools. There's times I really wish I would have given away my tools. I'm going to, I'm going to separate myself from my past to embrace what God wants me to be for the future. And I will tell you that I paid a price. It, I paid a price for not being bold enough to say, okay, God, I trust you and I will follow you. I'd love to tell you that every day of my life, you know, as a pastor, I just have, you know, faith coming out my ears. I struggle just like you do. Every day we make the decisions in our lives. And I, and I just want to encourage you. I don't know where you're at or what it looks like in your life, but for most of us, there are things in our lives and in our past and a part of us that we know that God has called us to be separate from. Maybe it's places that you used to go or things that you used to do or, or events that you used to partake in. But it's like, God, if I want to serve you, if I want to be wholly yours, I know that I've got to separate myself from these things to follow your plan for my life. The reality is I let fear hold me back and I paid a price for it. And God was gracious. You know, obviously we ended up okay. I never missed a meal even once. We made it. But in the midst of all of that, that learning experience to say, okay, God, the next time you tell me to, to trust you and to follow you, I'm not going to try to set up a safety net. I'm going to say, okay, God, where you lead me, I will follow. And church is so important. It's not just for pastors. And it's not, like I said before, it's in your life. God has a plan for you and desires to move in such a way like he did in Elisha to call you out from where you were into what he's calling you to be. And if you'd have the kind of boldness that Elisha had to say, okay, if that's what God wants for me, I'm not going to hold on to the things of the past. I'm going to let go of them because if I try to hold on too tightly to what I've got, I won't have room in my hands for what God wants to give me. And church, we miss out sometimes because we're holding on too tightly to the things that we think are going to bring us security. We're holding on tightly to the things that, we're going to, that we think are going to help us sleep better at night. And if we let go of those things, then the great unknown is right in front of us and we're really met face to face with the reality that I've got to trust God now. And because we're scared and we hold on to those things, there's no room left for God to say, let me put into your hands what I really want to give to you. Elisha didn't make that mistake, and I'm grateful for his example. He decided that he was just going to follow Elijah. He said, okay, I'm going. I'm going to do it. And I'm done with everything else. I burned the oxen. I'm no longer a farmer. This is not my identity. I'm not a part of this wealthy family anymore. I'm forsaking all of it for the glory of God. And Elisha went on to do some amazing things. Years later, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he makes mention of a moment here that references this exact same thing that happened with Elisha. And you can read about it in Luke chapter 9, verses 61 and 62. He's got all these people that are saying they want to follow him. I mean, they're excited about it. And, and want is a great thing, right? I want to follow Jesus. 
But there's they give him a list of, of, of excuses that you can read in this chapter as to why now's not really a good time. One of them says, well, I just got married, and I kind of want to go on a honeymoon. Okay, I get that. I, I just planted a field, and I need to stick around and harvest it. I have this going on. Uh, it says, I have a relative who just died. Let me go back and bury my dead relative, and then I'll follow you. And, and Jesus comes across so harshly in the way that he responds to them, to each one of them. He's like, you know, let the dead bury the dead. But then he says this to the one. He says, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. Sound like Elisha? Let me go and kiss my mom and my dad goodbye. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Anybody who, who is going to follow me has to do so 100%. You know, we're, we love the idea of the kind of, sort of. We love safety nets. We love plan Bs. But God says following me can't have a plan B. Following me has to be all the time in with me and trusting the plan that I have for your life. You know, Jesus looks so harsh here in the way that he talks about this, but he's not just talking about uh, the idea that you have to obey or this is, this is going to happen to you. You're not worthy of me if you don't. But he says, when I really have a hold of your heart, when I really become the number one thing, when I'm what really matters, then the great indicator of that is going to be that you're not, you don't want to hold on to anything else anymore. You want to hold on tightly to Jesus. And can I tell you, there's a lot at stake in this. Because we're often thinking of ourselves, you know, when it comes to the stakes, that it's just, you know, if, if I obey God, then God will bless me. And if I disobey God, then I might not get a blessing, but I think it'll be okay. God's merciful. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He'll forgive me. And it's okay. It's all going to be okay. But we're only thinking about the way in which God works in our lives, and we're forgetting about how God wants to work through our lives. And the reality is that obedience to God on the smallest scale always adds up ultimately to the world being blessed because of your obedience. I came across a story of kind of a phenomenon, if you will, in the early 1900s of a group of missionaries that were referred to as one-way missionaries. And I just wanted to share this with you. It says in the early 1900s, there were a group of missionaries who, when they were about to embark on a mission to a foreign land, would not pack a suitcase as most people would. Instead, they took a coffin, which they packed with their belongings along with a one-way ticket. By doing so, they demonstrated their intention to die sooner or later in the new land that they were adopting. A good example of this sort of commitment and intentionality was a missionary named Peter Milne. Milne selected as his mission a tribe of headhunters in the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific, off Australia's coast. Every other missionary that had attempted sharing Jesus with this group had been killed. Milne had no guarantees that it would not be true for himself as well. Still, he was not deterred, so off he went with his coffin and he spent more than 50 years in the islands witnessing to the tribesmen about Jesus Christ. When he died of natural causes, the tribe buried him in a grave noted with this tombstone. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. I, that hits me 
like a Mack truck when I read that. When he came, there was no light. But when he left, there was no darkness. What's at stake for living radically for Jesus? A tribe of headhunters in the Hebrides Islands. I've read in other places where it said that by the time he, of the end of his 50 years in these islands, that there wasn't a single corner of the islands that wasn't in some way nominally Christian. Because one man packed a coffin instead of a suitcase. And generations after this man came to serve Jesus because one man packed a coffin instead of a suitcase. Because one man realized what was at stake. We're often in the place, well, I'll, I'll tell you what's at stake. My own head. They're head hunters. I have a head. They might hunt it. Does that seem reasonable? That's simple math. But that wasn't what he saw that was at stake. What he saw that was at stake is he said, there's a tribe of people who if someone doesn't go to them will never know Jesus. To me, that's a greater travesty than the loss of even my own life. Pack my coffin. And if I have to go there and I have to die, as everyone else has done before, and, and you know, we would consider them failures. We're like, well, all those other, what were they doing? But every one of them had to go and surrender their lives so that one could finally get there and bring light where there was darkness. And upon his departure, leave no area untouched. And church, we, we look at people like this and we're like, wow, that's such a cool story. And I mean, it's a fact, first of all. It's not just a story. But it's so neat that that happened for that guy and in that time and in that place. And it's, wow, so cool that he understood that what was at stake there and, and, and so heroic that he thought to himself, you know, I don't even care if it costs me my own life. I want to reach people with, for Jesus. It's so cool that it turned out the way that it did, that he didn't die and, and he ended up teaching people about Jesus. And generations now have been, I mean, this happened in 1870. We're talking 150 years ago. People are still serving Jesus in the Hebrides Islands. In fact, one of the most renowned revivals in all of history took place in the Hebrides Islands because one man packed a coffin instead of a suitcase. I wonder what would happen if we became a people who said, I'm going to pack a coffin instead of a suitcase. I don't care what it costs me. I want to make sure that I'm living in God's plan for my life. I want to follow him to whatever he wants me to do. I want to trust him wherever he sends me, where he leads me, I will follow. But understanding that what's at stake is not just my life. You know, we're always like in this panicked place of if I make a decision, I could really screw up my own life. What if I make a mistake? What if I choose the wrong thing? <clears throat> what if I do the wrong thing or go to the wrong place or say the wrong thing or go to the wrong people? I'm going to make a mistake and we're all clenched up, worried about this, what's at stake here. I mean, not most of us are worried about dying for Jesus in the current culture that we live in. But in the midst of all of that is a fear that unites every single one of us together and it keeps us from living radically for Jesus. 
Because we're afraid of what we might lose. We're afraid of how people might see us. We're afraid of how it might change our economic status. We're afraid that it might change our relationships around us. We're afraid that we might be ridiculed. We're afraid that we might slip into obscurity. We're afraid that our family might disown us. We're afraid that we might fail. We're afraid that we might be wrong. And in the midst of all of that fear, we're a group of people who have held on. And instead of receiving what God wants for our lives... We hold tightly to what we've already got. And church, I believe, you know, we, as we've been going through this series of the radical year and living radically for Jesus, you know, it, there's no bones about it. We look at the world around us and we're like, man, things are not great. People need Jesus. Things are messed up. I'm fed up with the way things are right now. I'm frustrated with the, listen, the world around us is not going to change unless a generation of people rise up who are willing to pack coffins instead of suitcases. That's what's going to change the world. It's not going to be your Facebook post, your Instagram, your tweet. Not a sign that you're carrying in the street. It's going to be the willingness to say, Jesus, I am so surrendered to you. I'm so willing to live radically for you that I will put my hand to the plow and I'm not looking back with this one thing in mind. Let it be said of my life when I've drawn my last breath that when he came, there was no light. But once he left, there was no darkness. You know, I read that and I think to myself, I could not hope for a better epitaph in my life. I could not hope for a better epitaph for my life than to be able to say, upon my departure, there was a people who said, that man brought Jesus. And I believe that for your life too. That woman brought Jesus. That man brought Jesus in her family, in his workplace, in their school, in wherever it is that you... That person brought Jesus. And it was a dark place when they got here. But because of their sacrifice, because they packed a coffin instead of a suitcase and bought a one-way ticket, God changed things. So, you know, I don't know where you're at today. And I've been really wanting to practically talk in our own lives of what it means to live radically for Jesus. But it's time for us as a church to understand the shift, for you in your own life to understand the shift of what God has done for you and to make some profound statements and understand that what's at stake is not just your life, but the lives of the entire Shenango Valley. The lives of people in other states and other nations that through our simple obedience can be affected for generations to come simply because we said, yes, Jesus, where you lead me, I will follow. Will you bow your heads with me? God, I'm so grateful for your mercy. I know that so many times in my own life, I have felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to do something, to say something, to go somewhere. And there are times I've failed you. You're so merciful, God. You're so kind and compassionate to give me one more chance to get it right because you're not against me. You're for me and you're for us and you want to see good things in our lives, God. And Lord, my prayer is for those in this room today who are, who are in this place of saying that I, I want to live radically for Jesus. I really do want to be able to live the life that God has called me to, but, I, but I'm also willing to say I've got just a little bit of fear in me about what that looks like. God, I pray that you would just begin to challenge hearts in this place all over the room, God. Those who are joining us online today, challenge them, God, with the reality 
that to follow you is something we do wholeheartedly or not at all. There is no halfway. There is no kind of. There is no sort of. We're either yours or we're not. We're either following you or we aren't. God, I pray that you would challenge us. God, that within this room a generation could rise up who is willing to die to self, who's willing to pack a coffin instead of a suitcase, who's willing to try what's never been tried and go into the places that have never been reached and to do the things that are hard, God, so that your name could be made great, who lives sacrificially, who gives sacrificially, who serves sacrificially, understanding that what's at stake is not simply my life or their lives, but the lives of those in this region who do not know you. Lord, we want to give you glory. As we're in prayer, I just want to ask you this morning, if you're here, and you'd say, I want to live radically for Jesus. I really do. I I want to be able to step out into what God has for me. I don't want to live in fear. I don't want to always be having a plan B and a plan C. I just want to trust God and go after His plan for my life. I've been held back in some places. If that's you, I want to ask you to raise your hand because I want to pray for you this morning. There are so many hands in this room that that's that's where you're at. Thank you. I want to radically serve Jesus at any cost. Anybody else? I don't want to miss anybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to ask you to stand as we get ready to close in prayer. Listen, I want to pray over you, but here's the awesome thing about God. The Holy Spirit is already tugging at your heart. He's already nudging you and reminding you and showing you things that I don't know anything about, and I can't. And we're going to pray together, but my prayer for you is this, that God Himself would challenge you in every area that you're feeling in your heart right now. I know it. You're thinking of Him. It's in your head. You know exactly what it means for you in your context to start serving God radically, but to have enough faith like Elisha did to burn the plows, cut up the oxen, and say, I'm done with this past. I'm stepping into the future that God has for me. So God, I just pray right now in Jesus' name that you would just begin to infuse a courage of biblical proportions into your people. Lord, that we would not be a people who are completely caught up in our fear, but that we would live as those who have been set free to walk in righteousness and to fulfill the plan that you have for our lives. God, we confess that within us there is a fear of what could happen if we give in to you completely and live radically for you. But Lord, I pray that you would put our eyes on the true stakes that unless we become radical for you, there's a generation who may never know you, who may have to continue in darkness and be sentenced to eternal punishment, God, because of our fear. God, that we would never give in to that, but that we would be a people who say, where you lead me, I will follow. What you ask of me, I will do. What you tell me to say, I'll say. Where you tell me to go, where, how you tell me to serve, I'll serve, God. Whatever you ask of me, I'll do it. Lord, I pray 
that as each of them are in this place, God, and maybe you're speaking something specifically to them right now of what that looks like, what it means in their lives, that you would protect them, God, as they leave today, that it would not be something easily forgotten, but that they know I have to act immediately. I have to respond immediately because I'm not going to wait another day before I follow Jesus wholeheartedly and live for him radically. And God, I pray for courage and strength in every one of them, Lord. And God, I pray that you'll be truly glorified by a generation that has coffins and one-way tickets to your will for their lives. May we truly bring light where there has been darkness. And should you not return and we leave this earth to enter into eternity, may it be said of each of us that once we are gone, there was no more darkness but only light. We give you glory, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, it's one thing to want. It's another thing to do. Go do it. Go live for Jesus today. And whatever God's tugging at your heart, obey him in it today. And let him show you how good he can be. Lord bless you. Love you. Hope you have a wonderful week. Stay safe and warm as you're getting your two dozen eggs, four gallons of milk, and five loaves of bread. And stay safe this afternoon. Lord bless you.